0: You're listening to the Writers Off the Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy lattes, Sine Maripodi.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining me. This season, I sit down with some of WA's best authors to find out their tips, tricks, and secrets to not only writing a great book, but most importantly, getting it published. Meg Caddy is a self-described, bespectacled, asexual, non-binary D&D geek. Her 2016 novel Where was shortlisted for the Text Prize and the Children's Book Council of Australia Book of the Year Award and her 2019 novel Devil's Ballast was shortlisted for the Readings YA Book Prize. Meg, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Now, look, we often hear of writers who say, look, I've been writing my entire life. You know, as a kid I started that couldn't be more true for you, could it?
0: Yeah. My my dad, David Caddy, is a children's author. So from a very young age, I knew that this was something that you could do. He was always telling us stories. We were always head in book all the time, had to be told not to read whilst crossing the road. Um, and, and I knew pretty much straight off that I wanted to be a writer.
1: On having that, having your dad as an author, did it mean, I guess, that you weren't going into this blindly? You knew that it wasn't just a write one draft, check for commas and full stops and submit and off you go.
0: Absolutely. So whenever I was doing um, school assignments that involved writing, dad would talk to me about the editing process. And so he sort of instilled that in me really early on. And uh, my mum is a fantastic editor as well. So it would always go through myself and then dad and then mum and then back to myself. And so when I started writing with an aim to get published, I knew that it would also go through that process.
1: Now, I can't go forward into your career without going backwards a little bit and just saying I've heard rumours that your 12th birthday was what, a book launch date? Yes, it was. Yep. Not your typical. How does it even work?
0: (laughs) So um, I started writing this, um, basically, it was a very uh, short, feminist, badly written Lord of the Rings and um, passed it around to all my classmates, really got into it. And my parents said that if I edited it and uh, got friends to illustrate it, that sort of thing, they'd put it together in a proper book for me. So I spent uh, year six doing that, and then at the beginning of year seven, when I turned 12, uh, it was all ready. They put it into a little book, and uh, my middle brother Danny made a catapult had everyone over dressed as Lord of the Rings characters and we catapulted the book across the party. You you actually launched launched the book. (laughs) book. yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which we did again for the launch of Devil's Ballast. (laughs) I love it. Something completely different. So that original book does exist
1: to a certain degree?
0: Um, Yes. And actually classmates from back then have have since contacted me saying, oh, I still have your book, which is... um, horribly embarrassing really it's not good
1: look I think it's more than a lot of young kids would have done so it's something to start with and I guess it shows how far you come as
0: well that's the thing and and really having everyone being so supportive you know you you hear stories about kids who like to write being quite ostracized by their friends but um all these people from my primary school were so supportive and so caring and all came together and supported me. My family was so supportive. So I sort of knew, oh, this is, this is what I want to do and I can do it. Um, so as, um, uh, rough as it was, (laughs) uh, it was a really good way to sort of get me into that mindset of this is where I want to be eventually.
1: Amazing. So, When you got traditionally published with text Mm. publishing, how did that all come about? Where was your first novel Mm. and a long time in the making?
0: Yes. So I started writing where in high school when I was 14. Um, Basically, my best friend and I would uh, LARP, so live action role play. We only spoke to each other in character for a year. Um, So we drove everyone crazy. But... um, the character that I was playing was a werewolf and um and that sort of ended up the the book ended up being a backstory for her basically so um I had a mentorship when I was 15 with Juliet Marilia uh, and she sort of helped me put it together into something that more closely resembled a book and um kept working kept writing it finished my um high school and um Sent it off to a couple of different publishers, had a few rejections. Um, But each time they were very encouraging and very kind. They gave me a lot of feedback. I think they were quite aware that I was young and trying to get into the industry. So they were actually really kind. Um, And then the uh, text prize came about, which is a young adult fiction prize. Um, And so while I didn't win the text prize, I was shortlisted for it. And uh, my editor, Mandy, called me and said, I really think this book has legs. Um, Would you like to be published with us still? And I of course, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And I've been with text and um, Mandy's been my editor since.
1: Wow. So from when you first started writing it to being on the bookshelf, able to be purchased, that was 10 years? 10 years, yeah. So
0: what was the actual writing time itself, do you remember? Well, it was rewritten a lot of time it was rewritten up until the year before it was published so it i think it was rewritten from scratch about 4 or 5 times wow. so the actual writing process was the 10 years really um you know so the the i think the first draft i probably knocked together in about 6 months when i was 14 or 15 and then i kept it all on a usb and lost it and had to rewrite that Um, which was the best thing that ever happened to it because rewriting is a big part of my process and every time I do it, it's better.
1: So how much, I mean, you lost that first copy, but if someone picked up a copy of Where Now, how far has it come? Does it resemble at all those early drafts or has the story changed completely?
0: There are some cores that are still the same. You know, there's a, a character called Moth who's in it And she's pretty much stayed the same from the beginning to the end uh, because she was just so fully realised in my mind, even when I was 14. Um, But the main character, Lycaea, changed a lot. Um, Certainly the plot changed an immense amount. Um, But there are still some... Like, a lot of the themes remain the same. A lot of the um, the sort of the heart of the characters remain the same as well. So we talk about, I guess... um...
1: It it gets disheartening sometimes when the length of time that it takes to not only finish the original draft one, draft two, but to get it up to a standard to get published and then the rejections that come through, obviously they're inevitable. A lot of the time, unless you have that initial massive success in the (laughs) get-go, which I think is the minority, what kept you motivated for 10 years to get it going? So I'm
0: bad at waiting. Waiting is not uh, my forte. I'm, I'm not a patient person because I like to... So if something is rejected, then I just want to, like, cry for a day and then fix it, you know, <laughs> keep going. Um, but there is a lot of waiting in the industry. That's, that's part of the job. So I think part of the... What kept me motivated and what kept me going through it is... Um, just the need to get the story out, the need to sort of have it, see it from the beginning to the end. I sort of felt a responsibility to it, um, but also I've, I've been particularly lucky in having a very supportive network. Um, I'm a member of, um, Squibby, the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, And um, throughout every project, there's, you know, there's always a time when you're like, ah, this book is the worst thing that anyone's (laughs) ever written. And um, I should really just move to Alaska. Um, (laughs) But the people from Squibby are able to sort of come in and say, we've all been there. It's okay. You will move through it. Here's some ideas. You know, people are really helpful with suggestions and um, just ways to sort of shake that off. Um, and, of course, mum and dad are very, um, always very behind me, so they're, they're really good with that.
1: So Where falls under fantasy YA, mm-hmm. right? So your second book, Devil's Ballast, obviously goes in a completely different direction, going into historical fiction. Was there ever that question of whether, you know, you should write on the success of Where and go for another fantasy?
0: Um, I don't think that I thought about it so clearly, to be honest. Um, I have always been fascinated with pirates and for a while I was sort of tinkering with a a fantasy pirate novel, but it just didn't have a a spark of life in it. And so I tried it a couple of times, wrote it from beginning to end because my rule is if you start a project, you finish the project, even if you don't end up submitting it. So I wrote it to the end um, and it was still terrible uh, and it didn't have that kind of um, staying power that I knew from <laughs> where um, so I did my, um, my honours dissertation on pirates and that's where I kind of came upon the, sorry, that's where I sort of came upon the story of Anne Bonny and um, there's so much mystery to what happened to her and who she was and why she did the things she did and I thought that's, that's a story that does have staying power So
1: Devil's Ballast, just in case anyone has been silly enough not to pick up a copy, run me through.
0: What's it about? Give me your elevator pitch. So Devil's Ballast is the story of Anne Bonny, a real 18th century pirate, and she uh, disguised herself as a boy and ran away with Captain uh, Calico Jack. Um, So it's about her adventures on the ocean. Uh, and the pursuit of a pirate hunter, Jonathan Barnett, who was also a real pirate hunter.
1: What was it about Anne Bonny that got your attention to start with?
0: Um, I think partially she seems at times in her story so callous and so um, rough and uh, very much an anti-hero, and I love that. But I also love that no one really knows what happened to her. Um, so, uh, it's not a spoiler for the book, but at the end, um, of her voyages, they were actually captured, and, uh, she was the only, well, the only survivor, we think, of her crew, um, because she disappeared from prison. So, no one knows what happened to her, they don't know if she escaped, if her father bribed someone to get her out, no one knows, and that sort of gap was really interesting to me. Um... And I also love the idea of a woman in a very male-dominated society having to be, um, having to, to pass as as a man, having to become part of that crew in a very dangerous situation. Um, so I, that was all really compelling to me, and I thought I can make a character out of this. Um, and I didn't really have to do a lot of work in making the character because she um, just sort of strutted through the
1: pages well you wrote her in this manner that she she does she struts through the pages almost flies off them it's like you actually knew her
0: she's just this badass pirate that she's just the opposite of me she's (laughs) amazing (laughs) she's very um she's difficult to write um at times because you know i'll be writing a scene where two people are having uh, a really wholesome conversation get to the end of the scene and realise it it's Anne, it should have been an argument the whole way through. So I have to rewrite it. <laughs> how did you, I mean, how did you separate the... Yeah, Anne
1: existed, Anne was a real person. Mm. How did you separate the history from the fiction?
0: That was really difficult. And in the first draft of Devil's Ballast, I was clinging to the history so tightly that I really lost track of the story. Um, Anne was still quite a free character, but in terms of the structure of the story, it was just so tightly bound to these little historical moments that, um, it didn't have any sort of pace or flow to it. So part of it was a really conscious decision to let go of some aspects of history and try and keep the idea of the characters really consistent with the history. So I did a whole lot of research. I, um, I went to Charleston, where she grew up. I went to the Bahamas in Nassau, where she um, spent a lot of time. Um, I mean, she went to bloody good locations. Well done right. for a holiday. I millet. know. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> um, and, you know, spent a lot of time mucking about on boats and ships and interviewing historians and sailors and everyone I could find about Anne.
1: And so as you were writing her by the end of the book or even halfway through, did you feel like you had really, like you knew her inside out?
0: There was, yeah, there was, and there were a few points when I was traveling and researching her that, that that got really emotional. Um, so I found her arrest papers and her trial papers uh, in the um, National Archives in Kew And came out of it really shaken and really quite upset because um by that point I was just so far into it that I think I'd almost forgotten how real it was and then seeing these papers really brought it home um, that this is a real person she lived she um, had these really real connections and relationships with other people and um you know unfortunately well I don't know if unfortunately is the right word, given their, their piracy, but they were, they were all caught and, you know, a lot of them died. So it's, um, I think it's easy to sort of distance yourself in the history, but I think when you're writing it, you do have to let go of some of that distance as well and really confront the fact that these were real people. So start
1: to finish with this one. We talked about the research process, obviously, being really intense. Mm.
0: Was it less than where? Shorter? (laughs) I mean, it was eight years rather than (laughs) ten. (laughs) So I started researching for pirates when I was on my gap year in 2010. Um, So I was living in this really remote little school out in Somerset, and a lot of the time I didn't have access to internet. So I would uh, print off uh, in the staff room just pages and pages of um, ship Uh, terminology and um, glossaries and then I would just copy them into a little book and so I did that for a year and then kept on researching Pirates and Piracy even as I was going through the process of editing where so all up with all the research it ended up being about eight years.
1: Did it get easier this time around book two in a sense of the writing process first and foremost in that you knew I guess where to Go start to finish book-wise and research I mean Ware and Devil's Ballast are completely different but there's still the writing process that came with them.
0: I don't think it got easier for, for book two I think actually um in some ways it was a bit harder because I um I was sort of looking for the same feelings that I had when I was writing Ware um so in times when there was a lull, when I didn't feel that sort of compulsion to write and that sort of um, uh, obsessiveness that I had with where, I would think, oh, is it not working? Mm -hmm. And because it was a different genre and because of um, the issues I had letting go of the history, um, it was quite difficult. Um, So it wasn't really until I did the the travelling in... 2017 2018 that I really sort of um reconnected with the story and then it it got easy
1: so what about the publishing process itself you went to um, both books were published through text publishing that's right yes um working with them second time around and getting the book in front of them Please tell me, does it get easier? We know for emerging authors, getting out of the slush pile is so hard.
0: Yeah, look, it, it was much easier to um, to get the book in front of um, the publishers. Um, so I just sent it directly to my editor, Mandy. Um, so I worked with Mandy for Where and for Devil's Bowls, which was wonderful because... She's quite, a, she's quite grounded and down-to-earth, and I'm a bit flighty, so <laughs> oh, I'm also um, a bit of a, a nervous person, and Mandy uh, just uh, has a really good way of bringing me back down from that. Um, so that was good, and, I, and it was easier to sort of get her to look at it, and I think she saw very quickly what the issue was. She was able to pinpoint where I'd gotten lost in the story and sort of say, okay, well, you need to go back and look at this and and um, find your love for the story itself. And that was so important. Um, so, yeah, I mean, working with Mandy both times has been fantastic because she's just able to put her finger right on what's needed each time. And good
1: news for fans, we haven't seen the last of Anne Bonnie. That's right. Tell so, us.
0: Uh, uh, I've just signed a contract for Slipping the Noose, which is the, uh, another Anne Bonny book. Um, it's quite different, it's uh, set in London, uh, and it's um, basically Anne Bonny ruining London as much as she possibly can in a very short space of time, <laughs> wrecking things. And so when will we expect to see that? What's the process uh, from here? We don't have a set date yet. I think it'll probably be sometime maybe next year.
1: Excellent. And amongst other things, you're also working on a PhD. I don't I don't know where you find the time
0: in the day. I don't sleep, but I make bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit about that. So I'm working on a PhD about the representation of queer people in Australian historical fiction. So a lot of that is uh, finding queer people in Australia's history and then working out whether they exist in the fiction um, that revolves around that time. So I'm focusing on the 19th century and um, as a queer person myself it's really wonderful to to be finding photographs of trans men from the 19th century in Australia and um, photographs of uh, gay couples holding hands. Um, so it's it's a really uh, interesting project. I've got some wonderful supervisors, um, but I'm only six months in, so it's uh, it's early days, and um, I know it's going to get quite stressful at times. Um, but it's a creative writing PhD, so it will also involve a novel, um, and I'm really looking forward to, to getting onto that part of it as well so have you haven't started that part are
1: you working on anything else at the same time or is it a bit all-consuming at the moment
0: it's a bit all-consuming at the moment um i'm just uh, i'm in research phase at the moment so i'm just sort of looking at different stories and seeing which ones um catch me which ones i can use which ones you know I'm, i'm not sure at the moment whether i'm going to do something similar to devil's ballast and have uh a real historical character as the focus or whether i'm just going to touch upon a few different inspirations and have a fully fictional historical fiction
1: and when's this all um, forecast to be wrapped
0: up uh i've got three and a half years to do it um so i've got three years left (laughs) Which sounds like a lot of time, but it's not but a lot I mean, of time. But I mean, eight to ten years for the other book. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not much. <laughs> but I'm full time doing this, um, which I've never been before. So usually I sort of write in the in the corners of, um, you know, very late at night or sort of on my lunch break on the bus, all that Just sort of any thing. Any
1: snatched moment. Any that you snatched can. moment.
0: But now that I'm able to do this full time um because of the the phd it's um hopefully things will be able to move at a swifter pace (laughs) fingers crossed (laughs) here with his hoping yeah
1: (laughs) so just to kind of i suppose wrap up to a certain degree to put you on the spot so where was 10 years in the making looking back is there anything that you did in the writing of where that you swore you would never ever do again
0: yeah, rewrite from scratch, and then I ended up <laughs> doing it for Devil's Ballast and Slipping the Noose. So um, I've I've accepted now that it's part of my process. Um, as for things that that I did at the time that I I know I'll never do again, that I haven't repeated with the other ones, I think um, I think finding a better balance um, because where was just. I mean I was in high school it was everything to me and um, I'm not the best at um, calling quits on writing at 2am for example Um, or you know just um, not going out and and not seeing people and not having that that good healthy social work-life balance you know Um, so that's something that I've committed to, to changing and fixing. Um, not always successful in it. I don't think you'd be
1: the only one. We talk about most riders. It is. It's their side gig. It's their, yeah. their thing that they do late at night or early in the morning before work, before families wake up. Yeah. It is all-consuming. I don't know how people can, can balance.
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, now that I'm... Um able to sort of work from home on the phd. I'm trying to have specific hours in the day that are set aside for not writing. Um I really enjoy cooking, so I sort of take that time to do a bit of cooking, um a little bit of um weight training, that sort of thing. Um Dungeons and Dragons, which I'm obsessed with. <laughs> um, so i'm getting better i think at finding a balance but it it's taken a long while to get there um and i don't know if you ask my friends they might say i'm still not quite there
1: but you're a long way ahead.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) And obviously that doesn't even factor in bringing in things like school visits or anything else that, or website building or any of this side thing that people don't realize comes with writing a book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the, the website building is um, my nightmare and I've actually had to um, shut down my website briefly (laughs) so that I can redo it because it's terrible. Um, school visits are so much fun. They are really, um, just such a rewarding thing to do. Um, so I was at the literature center in, uh, March and we had a bunch of kids come in for a, for a week. So a different class each day, for, but for a full day. And these kids were so engaged. And so I think some of them were quite shy at the beginning of the day, but by the end of the day, they were reading their work out and it was so, um, unique and clever and original, and just um, I'm, I'm quite open about um, my queerness when I talk to teenagers, you know, so just let them know at the beginning that I use she or they pronouns, all that sort of thing. Um, and just at the end of each session, I had at least one kid every day coming up to me and talking to me and saying, it's really nice to see someone who's the same as me. Oh, um, that must just be so just amazing to see the younger
1: generation coming up actually looking to you
0: yeah yeah and you know they were just um they were just such excellent wonderful kids who knew who they were so early and that was really inspiring for me and a sort of reminder you know this is right why I write YA is um you've got this wonderful audience and and so many wonderful young writers coming up through as well
1: What's the biggest tip that you give to them or to any other emerging writer that's coming through that's perhaps seven years into a project and wondering if they should throw it
0: out the window or into the fireplace? Find your writing community. Um, Everyone tells you to read. That's obviously part of it, part and parcel. Um, But finding a writing community, um, particularly in WA, where we're a little isolated from the Eastern States, is so important. And it's, it's really made all the difference for me. Um, having people who know what I'm doing, having people who will hold workshops that I can go to and learn from them, um, develop our craft together, is uh, so. Sorry, important. your cat's Sorry. just getting your involved. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, man.
1: Sorry, he's a uh, one of three. They had to get their moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, and look, he's he's always up in everyone's face, so. <laughs> Um,
1: So, I mean, your website's down at the moment. Mm -hmm. Where can people find you in the meantime?
0: Uh, On Twitter, um, Meg Caddy Author, um, or on Facebook as well, the same thing.
1: And you've also got an event coming up later in the year?
0: Yes. uh, So I will be at the Celebrate Reading Conference uh, at the Literature Centre in October, which I'm so looking forward to. Uh, Holden Shepherd is the other WA guy who's going to be there, and it's just going to be a blast. It's going to be so much fun. Excellent. Sounds amazing.
1: Meg Caddy, you're an absolute gem. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you so much for having me.